HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, people of color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. Hearst Ranch beef is 100% grass-fed, free-range, and always antibiotic-free. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit HearstRanch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T Ranch.com. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome the 2020 Julia Child Award recipient, Food Tank President, Danielle Nirenberg. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Danny about why the world needs a think tank for food, how we can rebuild our food system, and we'll hear Danny's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Every year we think, how on earth is the Julia Child Award jury going to find another person who can match all of Julia Child's virtues and accomplishments? How many people are there who are a great educator, communicator, innovator, mentor, and bridge builder, who conduct themselves with independence and integrity, and are public-spirited? It's a very high bar Julia set. 
But then every year, they find someone who's leapt over that bar. So the award was created to shine a light on those in the prime of their careers who are making a profound and significant difference in the way Americans cook, eat, and drink. And the recognition comes with a $50,000 grant from the foundation to enable the recipient to further the work that matters most to them. It also comes with a beautifully engraved copper pan. This year, the jury selected Danielle Nirenberg, the president and co-founder of Food Tank. Danny embodies every single one of those characteristics I just described. And just as Julia sounded the alarm some 60 years ago that our food system was headed in the wrong direction, Danny brings together experts and leaders from all sides of the table to work together to protect our food system's future, the planet, and the health of all people. And she's only just getting started. In seven short years, Food Tank, a think tank for food, which she co-founded with Bernard Pollack, has been recognized as one of the foremost global conveners and nonpartisan creators of original research on rebuilding the food system. Danny is recognized globally as a researcher, speaker, and advocate on our food system and agriculture. Food Tank is well known for its summits, held across the U.S. and expanding internationally, which hosts hundreds of speakers, thousands of participants, hundreds of thousands joining via live stream, and reaching millions via social media. An extension of its summit is the Food Talk Live conversation series hosted by Danny and featuring key players from the front lines of the global food system. Food Talk is streamed live on Facebook and rebroadcast as the podcast Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Food Tank publishes articles, daily and partners with over 70 major organizations, including George Washington University, the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, the Rockefeller Foundation, and Slow Food USA, to name only a few. Danny's knowledge of global agriculture issues has been cited in more than 20,000 major print and broadcast outlets worldwide, from the Wall Street Journal to the BBC and Fox News, to The Guardian, Le Monde, The Times of India, and the Sydney Morning Herald. Danny travels frequently, typically speaking at more than 100 major events a year, when it's not during a pandemic. These include South by Southwest, TED, Edible Institute, the Aspen Institute Environment Forum, the Global Forum, and Expo on Family Farming, and the New York Times Food for Tomorrow, and many other events and forums. She earned a master's degree from Tufts University's Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy, and spent two years in the Peace Corps in the Dominican Republic. Danny joins us today to talk about how we can rebuild the food system and tackle food justice and how she feels about becoming the sixth Julia Child Award recipient. Welcome to the podcast, Danny. Oh, Todd, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're excited to have you on and to talk about all these really important things. So, Danny, why does the world need a think tank for food? I mean, I think there are so many reasons the the world needs a think tank for food and an organization that really amplifies the good work being done by organizations and individuals uh, across the globe. I mean, we started Food Tank because we were seeing so many projects that if they just had a little bit more research behind them or a little bit more funding or a little bit more investment or just even a little bit more attention that they could be scaled out and up and recognized replicated in lots of different ways. And so I I think our our job, you know, even though we produce books and reports and we have this really robust uh, 
uh, news website where we're only posting original content from you know all over the world. I think we need a, a an organization like Food Tank to really amplify those voices to be an organization that is neither left nor right, uh, but is in the middle and can really convene different voices and then help amplify them in different ways. I don't. I think so many so many organizations right now. Are um, uh, you know they've they've had to choose sides. There's a lot of partisanship, and what we try to be is is sort of that middle ground, sort of a safe space, an inclusive space, to really highlight those stories of hope and success in the food system that will provide inspiration and and motivation for people to to want to solve these problems. I think that's really why why Food Tank exists. We, we want to tell a different story. We, we're trying not to focus on, on, on the problems. I worked for many years at an environmental think tank in Washington, D.C. It's sort of like cut my teeth, right? I, I grew up there and it was a, a great experience. It started off, you know, my, my um, love of, of interviewing people, especially farmers across the globe. But they were really focused on the problems and what I wanted to focus on was solutions and, and, and sharing those stories of what was working, whether it was in you know fields or laboratories or kitchens or boardrooms and, and really get that to a wider audience. Well, that that's kind of fascinating because I had been thinking it, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later, of the glass is half full, like all the problems. But I, I was thinking in what you were explaining about food tanks origin and how it's kind of evolved beyond a typical think tank, which mostly does research and writes reports and just broadcasts them out and moves on to the next one, is, and especially if you look at like the the so many people doing amazing stuff on your podcast and Food Talk Live, is the good news is there's tons of people around the world working on solving these problems, but then- Oh, for sure. But I guess the gap is that a lot of them don't know about the other one. And maybe if, you know, one plus one could equal three, is that what you started to focus on in in the recent years? I mean, I think those connections are key. And I think Food Tank, because it's looked at as an unbiased source, you know, whether it's a farmer from Niger or uh, a farmer in the Midwest or a corporate executive at a food company, they can all come to Food Tank and, and find information they need and, and, and like you said, p- potentially connect with others who are working on those issues. I think there's so much of reinventing the wheel because so many groups aren't talking to each other and you have this, this, um, this issue where you know nutritionists don't talk to farmers, farmers don't talk to scientists, that kind of thing. And it's, it, I mean, we, we all say it in, in the food and ag world, we need to break down those silos. And I'm sorry for the pun, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, but it, it, we do, we need to break down those silos because otherwise I don't think any of these problems that we all care so much about, whether it's hunger or inequality or um, food loss and food waste, none of these things can be solved unless we're all sort of, you know, listening to one another and creating that dialogue that needs to happen. Yes, I'm picturing the silos that I used to drive by every day of my childhood and youth at, at I-70 in the rail yards in Kansas City. And, and I always <laughs> right. thought, why are these silos still here? And I'm literally, I'm talking about five silos near the American Royal. And so I think it's a totally apt analogy. I still never knew if they were full or not. But I, th- I think that that's, you know, that hope and optimism is much needed. And I think that you know, talking in this sort of post or mid-pandemic time and after 
the the what's happened with George Floyd and everyone's looking at these societal issues that are so intertwined. I think I wanted to ask you about where our food system is unjust, but I also wanted to say, I think, to what you just said, that it's also revealed this this tremendous need for people to be more coordinated in their efforts to to help. Yeah, I mean, I, I the food system is unjust for for so many reasons. I mean, there's there's too many people who look like me who do all the the talking, right? And and uh, there's not enough diversity and inclusiveness and there's um there needs to be more of those voices heard and again food tank can help amplify that but i i think the, the what we have not done well as a food movement at least in the united states is be um be inclusive and i know julia was such a, a bridge builder i think it, it's imperative and and the responsibility of all of us especially now with covid and the uprisings and and the you know the amazing things that we've been seeing on the news with young people demonstrating and and not just calling for change but demanding change those bridges are are needed more than ever before and i'm i'm so inspired i mean i think we've you know the the systemic racism that's taken place that you know and continues to take place that's where this inequality comes from and being able to recognize it and acknowledge it and trying to do better and again keep amplifying the work of the organizations who have, who have worked so hard to to you know break that that injustice i mean i know you had leah peniman on on your show um recently and she's just such a wonderful advocate for these things and she's you know um somebody people can look to you know from from all races and all cultures as as a voice of reason and as a voice of hope and and providing so many useful tools for people to to incorporate not just around farming even though she's probably one of the best best people at doing that but around how how to talk and how to think about these issues and how to be you know uh, a good ancestor and a good, um, not advocate, but a, a good ally in, in, in ways that um, I think it's, you know, none of, a lot of us haven't had to think about that until now, until George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all of the other police brutality and violence that happened. And, you know, from what I understand about the uprisings, they're not just about, you know, the, the brutality that's taken place so for so long in the United States with the police and and the militarization of the of of our of our police but this is this really goes back to systemic racism and how we need to break that down it's not just about silo breaking it's about breaking down these injustices that we we've, we've just either you know ignored or let go on for too long yeah i wanted to ask you just narrowing back to food justice itself and how that relates to the existing food system, both in the United States and globally. And I thought, you know, I think you're very close to a lot of these issues, and we have a very broad listener base. And I wanted to ask you this really simple question about it. Did the food system get unjust by accident or by design? I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think there's, there's, yeah, I think, you know, the sort of corporatization industry and the industrialization of our food system by its very nature led to, uh, uh, you know, injustice, right? And then I think some of it 
is sort of just by, not by accident, but just sort of by ignoring things, right? You know, um, or, or, or not considering others. So I, I, th- I think it's a, it's a little bit of both, right? It's, you know, not understanding that the American food system is really built on the backs of poor people. It was from the very beginning with, with slavery. It continues to be with the way food workers and food, uh, farm laborers are treated um, and, and, you know, our, our, our so-called essential workers who we didn't really uh, think about being essential until COVID hit. So I, I think it had, you know, by design with people being paid very little for the work that they do that's so important in the food system and being treated so poorly that that it 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 it, it, it wasn't an accident um as far as i'm concerned i, I think a lot of this was you know um because you know the the power structures that exist within within corporate um entities and and how how you know again we we've built a food system that relies on cheap labor uh, and cheap food and and those sorts of things i i think covid has sort of lifted the veil off of it you know our food system isn't cheap you know it, it's uh there are a lot of all these unseen costs and externalities that we we you know a lot of folks didn't know about until covid so i i think you know, this is such a, you know, I, the tragedy of COVID is, it can't be underestimated. It's, it's uh, astounding to me how many people have suffered and, and died. But I also think it, it brings about this opportunity and this urgency that we will never have the chance to sort of uh, pounce on again. <laughs> and, and I think if we, if we miss this opportunity, opportunity to change how things are, then, you know, we will have missed something really big. This, this is it. This is our moment to do something. And that means all of us. It just doesn't mean like food organizations or, or chefs or farmers. It means all of us really working together to change the food system for the better. This, this is the time. Yeah. It's sort of like, what is our society stand for and about and what sort of society do we want to live in and do we want to live in a society where in moments of crisis we call people essential workers and in other moments we we call them inconsequential by not giving them full rights or health care or proper pay for what they do absolutely no that was that was a great way to i think frame it because i think some people are okay with the individual issues, but when you start to go to a sweeping like it is unjust, they say well, like, oh, well, that's extreme or or whatever. But it isn't because I think if you really look at it as through the lens of like what the pandemic has let people focus on, because I think a lot of people did know that farm workers weren't well paid, but they weren't really thinking about it as it ha- having any relationship to their own life and whether right. they should care about it. Well, the thing about food and farm workers, if they're sick, we all get sick. And I think people are now just beginning to understand that, that if they get COVID, they can spread it to, you know, you know, to, to, to us as eaters and like making those connections before, even with things, you know, like food safety issues and problems in, in the field without, you know, farm workers having access to, you know, proper facilities to go to the bathroom or places to wash their hands. People didn't get it, but now they get it, you know? And I think that's, yeah, like another silver lining to this terrible disaster of COVID. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one giant global wake-up call. And For sure. So I wanted to ask you, one thing I was struck by when we first started talking is you and Bernie shared Food Tank's priority list, which was three pages, single spaced. It was a lot of, (laughs) it was kind of a lot of stuff. And then just what we were talking about, I think that the 
the the long list that you had re- reflected the depth of the societal problem and challenges. And then, but I also think with this massive public health crisis, I was just curious if it has helped you narrow the focus, not in terms of saying like, okay, well, not the whole list, the not that the whole <laughs> list isn't unimportant anymore, but are there three things that sort of, you, you can say it's three, it's two, it's five. Are there things though that bubble up to the the top that you feel like, you want to keep people really focused on in this yeah. moment in time. We did send you a pretty long dense <laughs> list. And, and that's for reasons. I mean, I think everything in the food system is connected to everything else. So a lot of that is if you start sort of pulling on one thread, whether it's, you know, food loss and food waste, it connects to something else, you know, problems of distribution or industrialization of the food system, et cetera. But I, I think right now what COVID has uncovered, I mean, you know, when I was thinking about this question um, before we we started recording, I, I think the problem of inequality in the food system is is you know sort of risen to the top for 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 us. It's always been something we focused on, but I, I do want to make a more concerted effort to be a good amplifier of those organizations out there who are doing such good work and and you know much better work than food team could ever do. And that's that's our job again to really amplify the work of those organizations who are working for food justice, who are working for more equality in the food system, who are working. Um, for uh, you know, making sure that women and young people have the access to resources that they need. Those groups, it makes me want to help provide a bigger platform for them. So I, I think that's number one right now and what, what we've seen um, over the last several weeks. I think that, that that's obviously more important than ever. I think the other, maybe the second thing is that what, what COVID has uncovered is that the people, and again, this is, you know, it, it's poor and sick people who suffer the most during any sort of disaster, natural or, or otherwise. And what we've seen with COVID is that people who have diet-related diseases, and often these are, these are poor people or people um, of, of color, uh, you know, uh, who, who are affected by these diseases because of, you know, they live in underserved areas and, and they don't have access to, to healthy food or they, they're simply unable to afford it. I think this idea of, of uh, food as medicine has become way more important. Um, diet-related diseases like obesity and heart disease and hypertension are leading to greater um, uh, incidence of, of COVID-19 among those populations with those with those um, problems and it's leading to greater mortality. So we, if we really want to create a food system that works, it has to be focused on, on food as health and food as medicine and really you know, nutrient density, which sounds like such a wonky term, but we do need more nutritious foods um, so that people are, are protected. And I think what our food system has done over the last 60 years is it has filled people up. You know, we've, we've been really good at giving people calories, but we have not been good at nourishing them. And I think that's, you know, something that, another thing that people are awakening to um, during this time. And then, you know, such an important issue for us all along has been food loss and food waste. And I, I think what is so ironic that with more Americans and more people all over the world who will go hungry this year, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization predicts that hunger could double 
to 268 million. It's just astounding to me. And at the same time, because of poor distribution practices and, and broken supply chains, and because they're very long and very complex, there will be more food loss and food waste this year than probably any other year in recent history. And that's just astounding to me when you have so many folks who are who are suffering, who are really going to go hungry this year because they, they you know, lost their job or, you know, their harvest didn't survive, et cetera. So we, we really need to start fixing that problem in, in a big way. And, you know, there's been so much, so much work over the last decade on food loss and food waste and creating awareness. But, um, you know, to see some of that kind of crumble has been very saddening to me because I, uh, you know, I, I think uh, all the great organizations who've been working on it, they, they've worked so hard. And, and to see some of that just go, you know, uh, the, the opposite way is, is disheartening. But I, I, I think it's something, you know, it's, it's one of those issues that's super, you know, it's one of those issues you can fix. It's, it's, a, it's not as immense as, as so many other problems that we tackle in the food system. So I, I, I still think that, you know, the, there are, you know, ways to change that and creating more awareness is, is one of them. Well, I think that's a great top three, especially because they're very actionable. And actually what they require more is political will, which comes from public outcry. They, they're not they're not three things that we like COVID that we don't know what the 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 perfect solution is we we do know what the many of the solutions are there just has to be the will to to really prioritize them absolutely absolutely so much around this is political will but that political will as you you so eloquently described it comes from the people it comes from demand it comes from being louder and i i, I think that we have a lot of opportunity here people are uh, again, their 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 uh, their eyes are open in ways that they weren't before. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Well, I love something that I heard on on Food Talk um, maybe a month or so ago, and I think it was on when you were talking to one of the executives from Stonyfield, and you were asking like with, and this was early like earlier after the lockdowns and quarantines about whether or you know where people were trying to see where the economic collapse was and whether people were buying less food or more food, whether people were having to turn to cheap food as a solution. And the, the organic people said, well, actually, we've seen an uptick, which was kind of counterintuitive because everyone, you know, the sort of debate that was going on a long time was like, well, it's great to have organic and healthy food for rich people, but what about people who can't afford it? And they were actually saying that the differential is not not quite as as great as people and people were turning to it because they were, were more aware of of the health benefits of what they were eating or health requirements of what they were eating. Absolutely. I mean, that was uh, really exciting for me as well to hear that, you know, there was an uptick in sales of organic or more sustainable foods. And I think that's, you know, because people are more concerned, as you said, they, they want to protect themselves and they want, you know, foods that they, you know, feel like they're immune boosting. And, and you're absolutely right. The, the differential between, you know, conventional food and, and organic food, because organic is expanding and, and scaling out and up in different ways, which, you know, there are a lot of folks who don't think that's a good idea. But I, I, I do think that, you know, being able you know, the folks who, who had more, who didn't have access to organic food now, you know, do in, in regular grocery stores and not just farmers markets. And, and, and I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity in that and a lot of um, ability to, to create, you know, greater awareness of why 
sustainably grown food, whether it's certified organic is not or not, is is you know good for people, good for the planet, that kind of thing. Now, this was tempered by my frustration with my um, brother-in-law, who is a commercial agricultural businessman, if you will. And he's right now, to, he's just sold a business that was in um, uh, the Ukraine that does um, like wheat and grain crops, right? And now he's looking at the next thing and he wants to go into the berry business because he sees all this growth and in, in global consumption of berries, which is good. So I said, oh, did you look into organics or sustainable things? And he's like, yeah, of course I did. And he's like, I'd love to do it, but the economics aren't there. And especially, I think what he was referring to is some of the certification processes and things are so onerous if you want to do anything on a, a not if you want to do anything, but on the large scale or the scale that he's talking about, it's basically not worth it. It's all cost and no return. And I was curious where you think that dialogue is in terms of what we need to do to motivate particularly commercial farmers, for better or for worse, are still the larger scale producers. And they're, I think, still going to be there in the short term for sure. So where does the, the right incentive system to change the system lie? Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think it's, you know, you mentioned big, big uh, farmers not wanting to go into organic because of the, the procedures are onerous. It's it's often the same is true for small farmers. There's, there are a lot of small farmers who are basically growing organically but are not certified because the procedures are, are hard on them. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot of work. And um, and they're still trying to do the right thing, growing, you know, food without, you know, less or no pesticides or besides or artificial fertilizers, etc. I, I think bigger firms, bigger agricultural firms actually, you know, can handle those those things, you know, more easily than than smaller producers. Um, but I, I think, you know, that they're. There needs to be some sort of, of middle ground. There's, you know, a, a focus now on um, creating a, a regenerative uh, agriculture label or, or organic regenerative label, um, regenerative practices that are, you know, less extractive. You know, they focus on really building soils and sequestering carbon. I think there's an opportunity there. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't want farmers to be punished for trying to do the right thing because of those those procedures around you know, organic or other labels that really make it hard for them to, you know, keep all the paperwork going and, and, and make money. But at the same time, I think we need, you know, more transparency and traceability in our food system. And, and some of these labeling and certification um, practices can really lead to that. And, you know, I think that's been the problem for so long that we don't have enough traceability. We don't have enough transparency. Folks don't actually know what they're buying. Um, but the, the incentives need, you know, this is where the federal government can really step in and, you know, move a lot of, of what has been sort of unfair subsidies and unfair practices that favor large commercial commodity farms at a, and, and don't focus, you know, on, on uh, smaller farms, small and medium-sized farms who are growing nutritious fruits and vegetables and grains and uh, those kinds of things. So that, you know, that there's a lot of call, especially in the in the New Green Deal, for you know better better practices, maybe a national food policy, maybe making the the farm bill, the food and farm bill. So there there is a lot of movement around that. And again, I think this is something that COVID could really push forward because people are so much more interested in in where things come from and 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 you know uh, the the healthfulness of their food. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back to talk with Danielle Nuremberg, president of Food Tank and this year's Julia Child Award recipient. Stay with us. I'm Brian Kenny, a board member at HRN and director of collections and archives for Hearst Western Properties. Hearst Ranch beef is 100% grass-fed and always antibiotic-free. It's produced from free-ranging American cattle. I recently recorded an episode of HRN on tour with the division manager for Hearst Ranch, Roland Camacho. We talked about some of the company's accomplishments. Another award that you accepted as a supplier of the year at Whole Foods last year. That was quite a feather in the, in, the, in our cap. It was like we had arrived. So how <clears throat> does a producer become supplier of the year? What I mean, what's the secret? We're, we do things very different, completely differently. Um, we've developed relationships with everybody that we do business with and touched every department in Whole Foods that has anything to do with our product. We're also continually educating all of their new team leaders. So we have you know, retreats at our ranch once a year, and then we tell them about all of the stages of production, the ranching lifestyle, the cowboy lifestyle, the type of cattle that we have, the way that we manage them, the way we select them. Um, and that translates into them being able to sell our product more efficiently. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit HearstRanch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T Ranch.com. Welcome back. We're talking to our 2020 Julia Child Award recipient, Danielle Nirenberg, president and co-founder of Food Tank, the think tank working to rebuild the global food system. Well, I don't want to lose the opportunity to talk a little bit about the award. So I was curious, like, what does it mean to you to be this year's Julia Child Award recipient? I, I mean, Todd, I'm still pinching myself. I, I can't believe this. And, you know, from the first time you you, you told me and then you and Eric told me, um, I, I'm still pinching myself. I can't believe it. It's 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 a, such a huge honor to be uh, the, among the recipients. I, I I am truly truly sort of um, surprised, but excited. I I it for my name to be even mentioned with those folks and Julia Child. I'm over the moon, and I I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I think this will really help. Uh, um, move forward the 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 good work that food tank has been trying to do so it's 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 just a tremendous honor and opportunity and i'm i'm incredibly grateful i i i every time i think about it i get butterflies in my stomach and tear up it's just it's one of those things that i just never it never even occurred to me that i would be among among these folks so i'm I'm just truly truly honored oh well it's exciting for us too because i think we're we feel fortunate and delighted the jury selected you at at you know a fortuitous moment in time because actually their decision was made pre-COVID and just the 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 meaning and importance of what you and Food Tank are doing at this point in time it's just 
uh, feels fortuitous and meant to be. Did, did you want to talk a little bit about, at least we're not sort of formalized, but the 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 plans for the plans of what uh, Food Tank is going to do with the, the grant that you receive? Yeah, we um, once folks are able to meet again, and we're really excited about that. You mentioned at the outset that Food Tank does a, a lot of events. We're known for these big summits in, in New York and um, Washington, D.C. and on the West Coast. And what we, we started um, piloting last year was what we called Food Talk Live events. And um, we did them in New York. We did them on Capitol Hill to really educate and inform staffers about food issues that they might not, you know, be thinking about things that are sort of, you know, beyond SNAP or beyond um, uh, the farm bill. Obviously, both important issues, but there are other issues in the food system, you know, including food and technology. Again, food is medicine that we really wanted to have deep conversations on. So part of what we want to do with... um, with uh, the the very generous uh, grant that you're giving us is have these food talk lives in different places and and really expand conversations and 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 continue again Julia's legacy of of um, you know I, I think one of the things that she she did so well is made you know cooking accessible to a wide range of people and what we want to do is make these issues. Uh, around that are often very complex because we're talking about things like climate change or building soils or you know the how pandemics <laughs> affect the food system make them easier to understand for a wider audience and it's part of that that bridge building that I think you know you and she and the foundation are really so good at doing so I, I think these food talk live events bringing people together again safely when we can or having them virtually online I, I think is a great way to do that. And, you know, a couple of the things we've discussed is really highlighting the past recipients and, and the good work they continue to do, um, especially, you know, during the pandemic, but also beyond and, and really bringing those issues to the, to, um, you know, shining, shining a spotlight for, for our audience on them, I think is really, really exciting. So I, I couldn't be more thrilled. And I think there's also an opportunity to, you know, Julia was a, a, I don't know if role breaker is the, the right word, but she, you know, she did things that other women during her time were not doing. And so she sort of, you know, I feel like so many of us are standing on the shoulders of giants like her because she created opportunities, not just for women chefs, but for women, you know, to be seen, um, literally seen, seen on TV, seen as experts. And so highlighting, you know, what, what women um, ha- have been doing in the food system, I think is really, really exciting. Um, and, you know, they, they often haven't gotten or received as much attention as, as men for some of these things. So I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there to, again, amplify some great work and really get it out to a wider audience. So, uh, but we're, we're grateful that that grant is so generous and will help us really continue our work in, in new ways. Well, and we're excited to 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 have a have a have a seat in the audience and hear what transpires from it. I wanted to ask you because you 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 and Food Tank have made a real strong point about being a safe space and a convener of all sides of the aisle, and you don't you don't refuse to talk to people who make GMO seed. And but I I thought because of that it'd be really helpful. And you also talked about how you've tried to focus on solutions more than just identifying the problems. And I was wondering is do you have one example of where in this debate you you were able to bring 
all sides or both sides or opposing sides together and whether that solution is all there or not. But kind, I think that's really helpful to illustrate, especially in these divided political times, that it can be done. Well, I mean, at one of our events, I, I sort of have two examples, and I, I won't share names, but um, I we had two events where um, I, there was a, a Republican uh, congressman sitting at the ta- same table as a, a Democratic congresswoman, and they were both part of the same committee, uh, you know, an agriculture committee in, in Congress. And they had never spoken to each other. <laughs> they had never spoken to each other during the committee. They had never spoken to each other, you know, passing in the hallway. But, like, sharing a meal, being at an event, speaking at the same event, they sort of got to know one another, and they were talking about their, you know, respective families and their gardens and, like, food. And, and I, I just think that's sort of, you know, <laughs> bringing people together who actually, you know, see each other all the time but don't have you know don't have the sort of the the opportunity to talk to one another just as people <laughs> I think that's you know uh, one thing that we've done is that, that I'm sort of proud of because otherwise they wouldn't have ever been sitting at the same dinner, dinner table and the other um, is you know we um, had a speaker from a, a large um, agricultural company um, who was sort of fighting over press releases with um, a, a farm labor organization that we also work with. And again, they had never met each other in per- person. They'd never spoken on the phone, but they were having sort of this, you know, very, uh, um, you know, kind of incendiary, uh, you know, things over tweets and conversations over tweets or, or social media and, and again, in press releases again, getting them to sit down and talk and, and really make some some progress. And now they talk all the time. They have regular discussions. That that company has regular discussions with this this uh, farm union. So I think there's lots of opportunity to, to do those sorts of things. And I, I also think that so many of these issues that people think are partisan around food are actually not. I think, you know, who, who can, nobody's for hunger, right? Nobody's for not, you know, making sure that kids get fed. Um, nobody's for food waste. And so sort of, you know, breaking down the, uh, the, the language and using different semantics around these things can make people understand them better. Food waste, for example, you know, it, it's about saving money. If you're saving food and if you're not losing crops, that, that's, that's an economic issue. And I think both parties or all parties, all sides can really get around that. So there, there's ways to talk about these things that don't make them inflammatory, that make them, you know, really, um, available to both sides where they can look at and be like, oh yeah, of course, of course, of course we're behind that, or of course that doesn't make sense. And I I think that's, you know, maybe another place where a lot of organizations aren't aren't so good at doing that because, you know, they feel like they need to pick sides. And and granted, I have my own personal, you know, viewpoints on all these things, but when when Food Tank started, I made a real commitment to, to be in, in the center as much as I could. And I'm going to tell you that it's a very uncomfortable place at times. I get it from the right, I get it from the left. You know, I can't make anybody happy, but that's kind of where I, when we know we're doing the right thing. When Bernard Pollock, my co-founder, and I know we're doing the right thing, when <laughs> we sort of have both, have both sides kind of angry at us. I'm like, oh yes, we, we, <laughs> we fulfilled our mission. And so I, I think, um, it's a difficult spot to be in, but one that we take ownership over 
um, because we have to. And it's it's we we've made a ton of mistakes over the last seven years. I I make a, at least fifteen mistakes every day that we have to fix. And so I think being able to to own those has made us better. You know, I I um I we take <laughs> I, I take a lot of responsibility whether it's over social media or to my staff. Um, who are great, you know, we're, we're a small, scrappy organization. So it's a lot of interns and folks who volunteer their time. And, and we try to do our best. Um, we don't always say the right thing. I don't always do the right thing, but I'm constantly trying to learn. And I, I think that's, you know, an important part of this. An important part of, of being nonpartisan is, is also owning, <laughs> owning when you mess up and, and, and being able to, um, to, to tell folks that, to not hide it, to not sort of push it under the rug. Well, and I just, I feel like we have a, a similar philosophy of the foundation about being nonpartisan to the extent that we can, and that there there isn't enough center right now in that space. I was, I won't explain why, but I was reading something about Betty Ford, and it was a reenactment of when she was, when Gerald Ford was running for election, and just the kind of place that 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 Republican Party was in at that time was so different. And that this kind of loss of things at the center are important, especially when there really is a difference. There's right and wrong, and there's moral and immoral. And that is, it, it, been, it is not partisan, but we need to kind of look at those things. And I think you're absolutely right that there are certain value-related things like food raised. I'm kind of thinking like everybody has a, a grandma or a relative or someone who lived through a time of great deprivation who has, you know, put that mantra in their ear about how important it is not to waste things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I think the the center is, is again, uncomfortable, but it's where we all need to be, especially right now during these really these really <laughs> turbulent political times. I I almost wanted to say gross political times, but so much of what's happening in the news is is so um, uh, uh, horrible, right? And 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 we need to be able to have some voices that we can turn to that that give us some hope and give us some inspiration and and make us you know inspired and and provide you know that that non biased information that I think we all need to move forward. Yeah. And so I think that leads me into the last question before we do the Julia moment, which is, we you talked about a little bit at the, the beginning, but I sort of want to, def, as definitive as you can get conclusion, which is, you know, wh- what in your view, this is sort of your moment to make that clarion call for our audience, which is, what's at stake if we don't take advantage of this moment, and don't really start to address these systematic changes that we need for food justice and public health and for the environment. Like, that's my biggest fear right now that I'm kind of looking to Food Tank to help with is what if we end up wasting this moment once again? What is at stake? Well, Todd, we just can't waste this moment because I think what's at stake is is really, you know, it's the future. It's for future generations. I I, I have stepkids, I'm, I'm, you know, and, and I can't imagine a world that they're, you know, the world that they're going to live in, or, you, you know, uh, anybody who, who, who has young people in their life. And I think that what's at stake is really what, what kind of world do we want? What kind of food system do we want? Do we want, you know, sort of that, that soylent green future where everyone, you know, takes a, 
of, you know, a pill every day to get all their nutrients? Or do we want a robust food system that, you know, is environmentally, economically, and socially sustainable, that provides good jobs, that encourages young people to want to be involved in agriculture, not just as farmers, but as teachers or educators, as, as, as chefs, as, as you know, um, folks who work on, on science and technology. Um, you know, do, do we want a food system that, that treats workers poorly? Or do we want, you know, a food system that, that makes them feel valued for the important work that they do to feed us all? Do we want, you know, to have restaurants back in our lives that are, you know, safe, uh, where people can make a, a decent living, where they're not just depending on tips? I mean, this, this is our moment, because if we don't take it, no one else will, right? We have to do something. And I, I, I do not think there's a return to business as usual. I, I think that we that is over. It's, you know, this is such a pivotal moment. It's, you know, before COVID and, and, and post COVID or, you know, BC is what I like to call it. I think that that time is over. We, we have to fix the food system because um, it's our responsibility. We, no one else is going to do it. We don't want to leave um, you know, the, the world in, in, in peril because we couldn't take on these challenges. And I think it, in a way that climate change could never mobilize people um, around, you know, fixing food, this really can. Because, you know, so many different things has happened. We've seen the disruption in supply chains. We've seen our favorite restaurants close. We've seen our neighbors, you know, lose their jobs and go hungry. I, I think people are more closely, they get it now. And so what's at stake? Everything, right? But I, I have a lot of hope and faith in people, you know, and I think that's what gets me through even during these sort of depressing times when you're reading the news um, that, you know, folks are going to take this on, whether, you know, people who were never involved in the food system before never sort of thought about it, they're, they're going to take these issues on because they, they understand the importance. Yeah, I feel like really for people in our chairs who do have a platform and an audience, it's really about how do we sustain and keep this interest and change going and not, not, not. Yeah. All right. After the break, Danny's going to share her own Julia moment. So get in touch, send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf. And let us know what you think about today's show and share your ideas for future guests and how to keep the momentum going. Stay with us. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up. And if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory moment or how she's inspired them in their career. Danny, what's your official Julia moment? Okay, I have two because I'm greedy, apparently, and I'm going to share two. Oh, no, that's the most common answer. (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty pretty small, but pretty significant. When I was about 10, so I, I grew up in Defiance, Missouri, and I didn't know that we were 
you know, lower middle class. I didn't know we were a little bit poor. I just assumed everyone lived the same way we did, but we didn't, we didn't have cable. My parents, you know, my parents didn't have cable. So PBS was really, really important to me as a kid. And I watched a lot of cooking shows and, you know, watched um, reruns of Julia. And I remember being about 10 years old and wanting to make um, a, uh, Julia is one of, I mean, I know she had several, but one of Julia's <laughs> roast chicken recipes for my mom and dad for their anniversary. And so they got me all the ingredients, you know, they, they let me have the kitchen. I, I, I totally messed it up, Todd. I mean, it wasn't raw, but it probably wasn't the the best thing that they, my parents had ever eaten, but they acted like it was. And <laughs> I was just so sort of like, you know, proud that I had pulled off this recipe. I think it was one of the first things I cooked on my own. Um, so I thank Julia Child for that. A sign um, of your ambition to start with a roast chicken, <laughs> having never done one before. <laughs> like, what 10-year-old does that? And then <laughs> the second is um, part of the way I put myself through school at Tufts was um, <laughs> I had many jobs all at the same time. But I worked at um, MS Pizza, which was in Cambridge. I, I was a nanny in Cambridge. <laughs> I, was, I had a bunch of internships, and I worked at this pizza place. And um, uh, uh, one of the things that when I interviewed for the job that I was so excited about is that they told me Julia would order from there. And so like for, I don't know, two and a half years, I waited and I answered the phone, <laughs> you know, when I worked there, I worked there three days a week. I waited for two and a half years for her to call. She never did. I, I mean, I never got the call, but, <laughs> but they it made me so proud to work at because it was a gourmet pizza place and it was very small and family owned. It made me really proud to work at this place where Julia Child thought it was like good enough for her to eat at. <laughs> so it's one of those things I was really excited about working there and, and hoping that one day I would hear her voice on the phone. But um, it never happened, but it was a nice thing to think about. No, it is. And actually, I mean, it's fine. I mean, there are a number of people who have those stories and that kind of connection between a special food place and that Julia liked it or frequented it or praised it in some way. I mean, that's how Super Rica helped get its international reputation in Santa Barbara. Right. So, right. no, that's true. And I'll certainly never forget the, you know, especially in a personal way, like the first time I heard Julia's voice on my answering machine, You, it's just, it is like a weird rush because I think... It's down to you know, a how distinctive her voice is and how how she meant, as we've said many times, so much to so many. So thank you for for showing sharing those, and thank you for joining us today to to tell us tell tell us your story. And um, we're thrilled you could join us, and we're thrilled the jury selected you. Oh, Todd, thank you so much, and and thank you again. It's such a tremendous honor, and we're we're Bernie and I are so incredibly excited. So you just you really. Um, with all of the stuff going on in the world, you really made um, the the last several months really um, exciting for us. And, and we're so excited to continue Julia's legacy. So thank you again. Our pleasure. And, and I think that's a great statement. It's definitely a silver lining for us in 2020. And I think a silver lining of the whole process of your announcement and this Food Talk Live ser- series and working with the Smithsonian, we really hope it all turns what has been an incredibly difficult time into a more optimistic future. Absolutely.
Thanks, everybody, for listening and joining us today. So for more information about Food Tank and to listen to Food Talk, you can go to foodtank.com and you can click on the podcast link. You can also connect with Food Tank on Facebook at The Food Tank, and you can find the the Food Conversation series there if you want to listen live. And you can also follow on Instagram and Twitter at Food Tank. If you want to follow Danny specifically, it's D-A-N-I-N-I-E-R-E-N-B-E-R-G. For details about the Julia Child Award Ceremony on October 15th and the launch of that uh, new Food Tank Food Talk Live series in partnership with the Foundation Grant, which is planned for this year's uh, Smithsonian Food History Weekend, October 16th to 17th, make sure you're following us for all the announcements at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF, and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks to my co-producer of the Foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Amanda Wang. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. Please give us a review. It really helps new listeners discover the show. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.